Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Havoc Hemingway. I'm with Claudine Hemingway for our normal Monday hangouts. And today we are talking about Heloise. And maybe you've heard of her, maybe you have not. But either way, Claudine is going to teach us so much today. Yeah, she is. Um, this was uh, one that when we did one of our um, live walks in Paris, we went by a location where she used to live and somebody was like, have you done a podcast about her yet? It's like, nope, she's on the list. Uh, but most people will know her as uh, usually they hear Eloise and Abelor. And um, they were kind of the very first Romeo and Juliet long before Shakespeare wrote about it. Um, but Eloise herself, she was born December 1st, um, 1092, maybe. They're not, Whoa. they're a little unsure of her birth year. Um, and so you usually see it anywhere between 1070 and 1092. Um, when we go back that far, sometimes the records aren't, aren't really the best. Um, but she was uh, born in 1092 ish and her mother founded an abbey. And in 1101, um, she, it was uh, the Notre Dame de uh, Fontereau. And at that point, her mom kind of threw herself into this whole thing. So Eloise was basically raised um, by her brother until she entered an abbey to be taught by the Benedict nuns. Oh, wow. So she was like grew up with religion, basically. Oh, for and, sure. And these two were who inspired uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet? Well, I don't know if they inspired, but they were basically Romeo and Juliet before there was a Romeo and Juliet. Mm, love story. All French people yes. know about them. I don't know that very many Americans know about them. Yeah, I don't think so. There was um, something recently somebody told that, that they were brought up into. Somebody said they were watching some movie and they, they were brought up. So then they were kind of wondering who they were. But um, yeah, it's not usually something that a lot of Americans usually know about. Yeah, I had um, never heard of them. was pretty much unknown. Um, they thought he might have been a nobleman, um, but they uh, they're they're not sure who her father or her father was. So, um, you know, but we're also looking at records from the 11th century. So, you know, they didn't, <laughs> it's a little harder. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fires uh, between now and then. <laughs> it was there was a lot of destruction. Um, and at 11 years old, she was sent to Paris to live with her mother's brother, Fulbert. Um, he was a canon at the Hotel de, de Paris, which is there, you know, right there at the, um, on Ile de la Cité. Hotel de is right next to, um, is next to Notre Dame. At this point, Notre Dame wasn't even there yet. But wow. Eloise was educated. Um, she was, she was 
one of the most educated women at that time it, you, through her life. Um, she was educated at the St. Christophe, um, the church that stood um, in the right in front of where the Notre Dame is today. Uh, just one of the many churches that was on the island. And uh, But Uncle, Uncle Fulbert had uh, lofty goals. He wanted to move up in the church uh, to become a canon um, at the Eglise Saint Etienne, which stood um, right where Notre Dame is today, that's it was in the same place. Um, but he um, decided at that time that he would bring in some boarders into his house. So he had, you know, this this big, big pretty good sized house, and it was just they on there on the Quai de Fleur, um, very close, just over overlooking um, Ile Saint Louis. And so he had this house and he thought, oh, you know, I'm going to bring in some boarders. And so he decided to bring in um, this board, this uh, man to live at their house, Abelor. And Abelor at the time was just kind of like the bee's knees of like all of the men in Paris at the time. He was very <laughs> charismatic and, you know, he was a, he was a professor and a teacher and he was within, he worked within the church and everybody just like all of the women thought he was just, you know, the th- he was just the Brad Pitt of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so he moved in. And uh, he decided he saw Eloise, who was also very beautiful. She's depicted in art. Um, most of the time she's depicted, she's wearing um, kind of her dress will be kind of a tight around her yeah, bodice and then, you know, have this long skirt. Um, but she always is also depicted as being um, this very beautiful. So they were quite, quite the uh, perfect little pair. But he instantly, you know, they were instantly dazzled by each other. And so to kind of, uh, to keep it from Uncle Fulbert, they he decided to take her on as kind of a, a as a you know a solo little student, and um, you know educate her and teach her. And she she was very smart. She was learning. She you know basically knew Greek and Latin and Hebrew, and she just was always she basically like anything she read, she just completely absorbed. And she was so, eleven when they met. Yeah. So they ended up, uh, you know, he, they would have these like little, you know, moments together under the disguise of being, you know, um, being educated, but (laughs) the two of them had, uh, quite the, uh, relationship, which we'll hear about a little bit later in some of their letters. It it was really pretty steamy. (laughs) (laughs) Education. Educate. It's it's all, uh, all education, but you know, he was, you know, kind of, uh, at that time, I don't think it was the, you know, well, who was it? Mary Kay Letourneau that had the thing with her student. It wasn't really like that because she was a little bit older at the time. Um, and he was a member of the church and everything else. But, you know, at the everybody, you know, also everybody in Paris at the time, you know, thought she was just this beautiful woman. So then the fact that now the two of them are together, you know, it just was caused people to get very jealous and upset you know, good thing they didn't have, you know, TMZ and everything at that time. <laughs> but also, like, she was 11. So by old timey standards, I mean, she was like a 40 year old woman, you know? Yeah. She was, yeah. I mean, I think up. she was a little bit older when he came into play, but she was still a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. But they also, because they don't know how old she could have been 15, she could have been 27 because there's, you know, they can't pinpoint the exact year of her birth. So it could have been kind of creepy, could have been just fine. Yeah, we'll never yeah. know. 
We'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> um, but along with being so intelligent, you know, she was also so beautiful. And uh, so, you know, it definitely, they definitely were making a lot of waves within the city um, for everybody that would come across them. But in 1112, she was the first woman to graduate from cathedral school. The first woman. The first woman at that time. So Eloise and Abelor um, would find um, themselves um, with child shortly after. Whoops. And she got pregnant. And um, so, of course, you know, I think they were probably a little bit worried about what Uncle Fulbert was going to do. And <laughs> so at that time, um, uh, Abelor insisted that she go off to Brittany and stay with his family, stay with his sister. And so she went out there um, and the, for the entire time of her pregnancy, she ended up giving birth there um, with uh, Abelor was there when she gave birth. She um, in the fall of 1116, she gave birth and they she they named their son Astrolab. That is a fun name. <laughs> I know it means first son of God, um, but it's just such a funny name. I mean, that sounds like something somebody would name their kid now. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow exactly yeah Astrolab um, but so they left the baby there with his sister Dionysus and they just went back to Paris so see kid. yeah and he's the baby he stayed there his entire life he never was with the two of them so what? they abandoned yeah. Astrolab yeah Astrolab was abandoned poor Astrolab Poor Astrolab. Um, but after the birth, um, you know, they returned to Paris. And so they thought, uh, you know, at this point, of course, Uncle Fulbert was fully aware of what happened. And so they thought they'd go back and, you know, try to smooth things over. And so Abelar had the idea that they get married, thinking that would make um, Uncle happy. Well, um, it did not make him happy. And Eloise did not want to get married. She looked at um, the act of marriage as close to slavery. She... Mm -hmm also Modern didn't woman. want yeah she was yeah for especially like in the 1100s she yeah that. she even knew back then wow <laughs> i know and so he uh he was trying to convince her and but she was also you know because they needed to kind of keep it it their relationship kind of hidden because um of his desires to move up into the church it was kind of frowned upon and mm -hmm. just the whole basis of their relationship and so you know she just had these like very strong ideals about it well he ended up convincing her and they ended up getting married early in the morning and uh but so not many people would see him and they did it at the chapel of saint christophe and uh they had uh, you know there was a uh, few people there and then they ended up uh, having the second ceremony at the chapel of St. Anya, which is what we, that little chapel that was just down the street from where she used to live. Um, oh. That's on Ile de la Cité that we walked past when we did a live walk in Paris, which is kind of cool that it's one of the few ones still there. There's remnants of it inside. And so, but Uncle Fulbert, for a hot second, he was okay with this idea. And hmm. then he decided he wasn't okay with this idea. And <laughs> so, at, you know, they, Eloise, they couldn't live together. They, they, Eloise and Abelor could not live together. So she was living with her uncle back to living because, you know, then it would be, it would be pretty much common knowledge if she, you know, of course was living with him and their marriage was kept pretty quiet. But then uh, uncle Fulbert got a little bit upset about the whole idea and took, um, convinced a bunch of goons, we could call them, to go over to Abelor's house in the middle of the night 
They broke into his house and castrated him. Oh, God. (laughs) They cut off his balls. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. Horrible. Just horrible. And so the next morning, uh, everybody, it was already had spread that this had happened. And there was all these people waiting outside of his house. um, And it was just everybody in Paris knew that this had happened. So the police got involved. They didn't do anything to the guys that actually committed the act. But Uncle Fulbert was arrested and Mm. they would eventually take his home and sell it. And wow. money would go, um, a lot of the, most of the money went to Avalor in the name of his wife. And his balls. And his balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, that worked out well for them, kind of. I, I know, it's so horrible, though. I mean, just, gosh, I mean, Uncle Fulbert, he's, he had some, I mean, I get, you know, I get being maybe the overbearing uncle, but, you know, at some point, maybe you should just let it go. These They're together. Yeah, he lost his whole career and his house. Yeah, he lost it. He basically lost everything because of it. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Cool it. Cool it, uncle. Cool it. But so Abelard convinced Eloise that she should just, she should leave Paris. And so she left Paris and she went to go um, to a nunnery, a convent. And um, she stayed there for a long time. He would come over and come visit her and climb the wall to get in. And they would have some very steamy visits there in the old convent. Things were still working. Things were still, yeah, things were still working. Even though he was uh, castrated. I think maybe Uncle Fulbert cut the wrong thing off. (laughs) Yeah, what happened there? (laughs) Yeah, but back in Paris, um, you know, he was, uh, he, um, he would stay, he, he would go back to Paris and, um, but he, this thing was always just flying around, you know, everybody was talking about it. Um, and so she was kind of, you know, out, out of sight and at this convent, he would end up also leaving and he would go and he had always dreamed of building his own monastery. And so he left Paris and he was working on doing that. Um, and at this time, what makes Eloise and Abelard so famous, even to this day is because of their letters and they would exchange um, letters and these letters, some of them were very, very hot and sexy. (laughs) The letters still exist like that long ago. Yeah. Well, at first they only had, there was only like four or five of them. And then over time they've discovered a bunch more and they've all been um, printed. I actually got a book in Paris that is the, their letters. I can't believe they survived. Yeah, I know. And I haven't actually even, I don't even think I've even looked at the book. I haven't even read some of the letters, but I mean, I read quite a few uh, excerpts online and it was just like that she had, um, she would write of having lewd visions of pleasure Hmm. and that she, I know, and that she, they shared endless passion um, for each other. Endless passion. And she would think of those moments that they were together. And then it would be kind of graphic. There's also hints in the letters that maybe there was a little S&M going on between the two of them. What? I mean, he was basically a priest and she was a nun. Yeah. And there was some S&M action. I know. I mean, get it, guys. I mean, wow. But (laughs) it was also medieval times. So wasn't it all like that? (laughs) I was going to say, quite literally, like... That was just the Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but they would share these letters with each other. 
And it was these letters later that is is how we know their whole story and how they became kind of, you know, the subject of fascination. Um, but, at, you know, they were separated at this point. At, at one point, they, you know, weren't able to see each other anymore once he went to, you know, to build this monastery and these this church that he wanted to build. Um, but he died on April 21st, 1142. Um, so actually just a a few days from today yeah, that this is um, playing, but at the Abbey of St. Marcel and um, she, Eloise was completely heartbroken when she got the news. She had reached out to the um, Count of Champagne um, Thibault and asked him to help get um, Abelor buried in, in the actual, the Abbey. And uh, so he, she, she was doing everything she could to follow like some of his wishes that he wanted. In 1144, his body was um, stolen. Mm, who steals a body? I know, just re- creepy. And then it was uh, recovered and it was later um, buried in front of the altar of the abbey that he loved so dearly. Wait, they recovered the body? Yeah, they got the body back. I want to know that story. Like first, how, like what, and then how, what? I know. <laughs> I I, yeah. But then the, the, there is also still to this day, especially when we go back this far of like, is this actually their bones or, you know, like yeah. there's, a, you know, I do, or do they just find some femurs and throw it in a box and here you go. That's how I imagine it to get like a finger bone. And they're like, this is probably him. We'll yeah. just throw that in there. Yeah. Nobody's going to know. Oh my God. But why'd they steal his body anyway? I don't know. I don't know. Like creepy, very creepy. Um, But Eloise would live um, the rest of her life at the Abbey and she mourned the loss of her, you know, great love Abelard. And on May 16th, 1164, she, she died. She was buried next to him in front of the app, in front of the altar. So she Mm. was placed, uh, she was buried right next to him um, where they could spend eternity together. But they, uh, this was, you know, her, the letter started to be published much later after they died. Um, And it became quite, uh, got a lot of attention and people became fascinated with them. In the 19th century, Josephine of Napoleon and Josephine, she ended up falling completely in love with these letters. And so she was just really fascinated by them. And at this same time, this is when they were building and creating the Perlachez Cemetery. And they were at Perlachez at the time was outside Paris, like far outside Paris. And a lot of people didn't want to, um, you know, have their loved ones buried because it just was too far for them to go visit. And, you know, it just was it just was, you know, it was the just ridiculous how far they had to go. I still feel so, that way today. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they looked at having, um, they moved uh, Jean de La Fontaine and Moliere out there it, thinking, you know, this will bring people, you know, this will having some celebrities there will, be, will bring people in. And then Josephine actually suggested that they put Eloise and Abelor out there as well. Great so, idea. So they were um, dug up and, and brought to Paris and one of my very favorite people, Alexander Lenoir, who was the one that saved the monuments during the French Revolution, he ended up designing the Gothic. Um, it looks like a little, uh, a Gothic, uh, like a little tiny chapel. 
and the two of them are um, depicted laying on the bed with their um, their hands folded and like looking up towards the sky. And I love their little spot. It's kind of hard to find too. It is kind of, I think I went there two or three times before I actually found them. Um, and it's just such a cute, like it's so, it's just this adorable little gothic, uh, gothic little tomb. But he used a lot of the stones from that abbey, um, from the monastery and abbey that Abelor created. Oh, that's so interesting. I like yeah. that. I didn't know that part. Yeah. So that's really cool. The last time I was there and I saw it, there was a lot of, um, there were some scaffolding pieces. I don't know if it was just holding it together or it was getting ready to get restored a little bit. Uh, but hopefully it, it's, it uh, is getting restored and they could save it. But it did help. Like they brought these uh, somewhat famous people there. And it then after that, everybody wanted to be buried there. Yeah, you got there's like a waiting list now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would be like, you know what? Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'd be like, I want to be buried next to Neil Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> not Gertrude Stein. <laughs> not Gertrude Stein. No, not after her Nazi affiliation. <laughs> but what happened to Astrolab? Where's Astrolab? Astrolab. He ended up living his uh, life over there in Brittany. Um, I don't think, I think he died, uh, you know, when he was, I don't think he didn't live a long, long life, but he stayed there and lived with uh, his aunt. I wonder if he ever knew it was his aunt or they were probably like, you're our son. And then later he finds out. <laughs> on Maury Povich. Oh, and his parents, gosh, the whole thing is crazy. Also, I'm just so curious how he survived having his, his parts cut off. Cause I feel like there'd be a lot of blood and healthcare wasn't that great back then. Like the whole thing just seems insane. I <laughs> I don't I, think he cut it off and then ca cauterized it. So he didn't bleed out. <laughs> oh, that sounds so painful. They probably, they probably came in and like slash and then left. I guess that's more romantic than the real Romeo and Juliet because they lived a lot longer. <laughs> I know they lived a lot longer and they had these like letters that were laced with, um, you know, sexy talk and S&M. <laughs> Maybe that's what really made them famous was the letters, because otherwise, I don't think anybody would really care. Oh yeah, that, I mean, nobody would even know that know who they were if it wasn't for the letters. I better take a look at those letters and see what see what's uh, what's going on in there. <laughs> exactly, I'm sure. Did your book translate them as well? Yeah, no, they're all in English. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah. let me know how that goes. I feel like that was like they were the first ones to like write pornographic books of their time. I know. <laughs> I mean, it was like. I mean, have you seen those? Um, the images from Pompeii, like some mm -hmm. of the images that were painted on the walls at Pompeii are like super, super, uh, like there's a lot of like, uh, it's just like, whoa, okay. I, like, I didn't know that was going on then. <laughs> yeah, I remember I did a tour of Pompeii and our tour guide was telling us there was like, there was a prostitution house and basically people couldn't read and write. So they just point at the picture for what <gasps> sexy thing they wanted. So that's why there's all those sexual drawings because people would literally just point and be like, yep, that's what I want. <laughs> Cause they're like, I mean, they're like Kama Sutra kind of images. Like you're like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Pompeii is really cool. And it was, that was actually the most fascinating part for me. I was like, Oh, okay. The, the sexy house over here, point to what you want. Cause even like, back then, like, people were paying crazy. for that. I mean, that's yeah, like, the church. That's why they did stained glasses because people couldn't read. So that's how they were taught, you know, like the Bible and, and all these stories, but that's a whole new take on it over there. Pompeii. Yeah. That was the Italian take on it. <laughs> 
Wow. And that's why the graphics are there. People wanted to know what they wanted, what they're paying for, you know? <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, one day you'll you'll make it there and see them yourself. Very nice. First off, uh, Playboys written on the walls. <laughs> I know. I was just like, whoa, people checking out. I'm not gonna put I don't know if I'm gonna post those pictures on my website. <laughs> but later on in the 1980s, uh, uh feminine a feminist, Michelle Ladouf, she decided to um, create and call uh, something the Hel- Eloise complex. And that was basically when a woman who had an intellectual contribution to is basically is erased um, in favor of her spouse. Mm. Because that's what they thought. I mean, I think, you know, she definitely was very outspoken and she was very educated and she was against getting married, but I don't at the same time, I mean, from what she sounded like, I doubt that she would be like, I'm just going to sit home and, you know, be making you dinner. Yeah. But it's also sad that like all that talent and brains were just like put into a convent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you think she could have like, if it was a different time, she'd be running like the UN or something. Oh, totally. Yeah. It sounded like a genius. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a. It's a very sad story, but it's also kind of, uh, but I was really shocked when I saw that it was like, oh, and there's, you know, they're involved in S&M. I just, you always hear their story and think, oh, it's this beautiful love story. And it is an Avalor and their undying, you know, love that they had for each other, star-crossed lovers. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember nice. hearing that part because you hear about them all the time, but not that part. Nope, nope, uh, nope, nope. Well, Astrolab, <laughs> just thinking about Astrolab, but yeah, it was really cool to walk by their actual house on our tour. And, yeah. and every Sunday for our listeners, we always do live virtual tours around Paris, and you guys can jump on those. So just send us a message if you want to join or check out Claudine's Instagram, Blue Blonde Rouge, uh, and you can join every Sunday. They're super fun. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, sadly, the house, of course, has been torn down and something else built there. Um, But you see, you know, they do have a big sign over their door and I'll put some pictures and maybe I'll even put a little uh, clip of from our live walk so you could see it. Um, But there's a sign above the door and then um, it has like two little uh, sculptures, one of Eloise and one of Avalor on either end of the sign. Um, but you could see where it was. And at the time, Ile de la Cité was basically, especially at that end of Ile de la Cité, which is covered with um, churches. Like there was a ton of churches basically right in front of what we know of Notre Dame today. And there was, um, you know, convent schools and everything. So it was quite the religious little island at that time. Yeah, it still is with Notre Dame in the center of it all being yes. rebuilt right now. Well, thanks so much, Claudine, and we hope you guys enjoyed the show. Tune in next week for another edition of Paris History Avec a Hemingway. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec a Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris or it's lots of fun facts and then also at claudinehemingway.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.